Boys and girls, welcome back to what might be our biggest interview yet. We have the Honourable Mark Latham in the Carnage House today, uh, the State Leader of One Nation in New South Wales and the member of the New South Wales Legislative, Legislative Council. Thanks for coming on today. No, it's great to be in the Carnage House. I love a bit of Carnage, so let's get into it. Well, beautiful. I'm sure that I'm sure the viewers are keen. Now, you've been a busy man these past few months in the Parliament. You've been doing stuff on lockout laws, religious mm -hmm. freedoms, education, even nuclear power. Mm -hmm. uh, what I want to start with today is, is what your plan is for tomorrow. Um, why don't you tell us about the motion that was passed in 2016 by the New South Wales uh, Parliament? Well, there was a guy called Jeremy Buckingham who was a Green member of the Upper House and uh, he was subsequently chucked out of his party and the Parliament because of allegations of sexual harassment. Um, but So it sort of ended up a, a situation of glass houses because this bloke moved a motion to condemn Trump after the notorious Access Hollywood locker room talk tape uh, as a, a slug unfit for public office. You know, this is totally unparliamentary yeah, language. You couldn't say it about another member of the Upper House, but... Apparently it went through on the nod and, and no party objected to it and in, in the end the whole house yeah, described so Donald Trump as a slug unfit for public office. So we've got to reverse that mm. and basically concede that stripped of Trump derangement, um, you know, we all love the Donald. Mm. Yeah, because that was the explicit words in the motion that was passed, which nobody disagreed with, was that Donald was a, a revolting slug. Yeah, revolting slug, now, yeah. The problem for the, for the parliamentarians is that Donald went on to win the election. That's right. um, and it, it, was a, it was a bit of a bad backfire. Uh, and we've just had the, the big state visit with ScoMo over in, over in Washington. Um, how would you, how would you characterise the, the sentiment towards Donald currently in the, uh, in the New South Wales Parliament? Well, we'll find out tomorrow, but uh, they're all cheering for Hillary in 2016. And I'm hoping uh, tomorrow they'll be able to stand up and say, well, obviously we didn't know Donald Trump well enough. We didn't uh, understand what he was on about because the American economy is growing international security is, is strong. He hasn't started World War III. He hasn't done all these dreadful things that Trump deranged lefty said he would do. And uh, in acknowledgement of his close relationship with Scott Morrison, it would be remarkable if the Liberal Party and the National Party in New South Wales Parliament wanted to bat on with the argument he's a revolting slug unfit for public office. They need to stand up and say, obviously, we had it wrong. We didn't understand this guy. And in fact, uh, he's a very fine president uh, getting on famously with the Australian Prime Minister in the importance of the American-Australian relationship. So we'll see, but um, you know, if they thought they could hide from their past mistake, tomorrow they're uh, well and truly exposed. Mm. And how, how serious would you say the, the current case of Trump derangement syndrome is within the New South Wales Parliament? Well, it goes on. There's a fellow there, Trevor Khan, who uh, on his Twitter feed at least is Trump deranged and keeps on putting this stuff out, retweeted and commentary about how bad Trump is. Um, Gladys Berejiklian, when she became Premier, said uh, the only thing she had in common with Donald Trump was the number 45. She's the 45th Premier of New South Wales. He's the 45th President of the United States. Well, you'd think coming from uh, what some think of as a Conservative Party, she'd have a lot more in common with Donald Trump, wouldn't you? Uh, cutting taxes, growing the economy, uh, a good, robust approach to international security. Uh, aversion to political correctness, you know, calling a spade a spade, these great Australian traits. traits. I always thought, uh, you know, watching the last presidential election, Trump was half Australian because he was such a straight dorgo, liked a joke, bit of a larrikin. You know, how can Gladys say that they've only got in, com in common the number 45? So 
we need to correct the record and tomorrow I'll be aiming to do that. Okay, fantastic. So that's exactly what people are going to be voting on, is just to overturn these words that Donald Trump is a revolting slogan. Well, to disassociate from those words, which are completely unacceptable in the last parliament, but to also acknowledge the strengths of the Trump presidency, the importance of the relationship with Scott Morrison, the success of the Morrison visit that we've all seen on our TV screens, um, and also acknowledge that Trump uh, far from starting World War III, uh, doesn't believe in foreign invasions, ground wars, all this nonsense and, and failed foreign policy we saw in Iraq and, and the Arab Spring. So, you know, it's a chance for these people to issue the mea culpa. Mm. Well, I'll be very excited to see the outcome tomorrow. Uh, we will definitely keep everybody updated. Uh, as yeah, yeah, we should look at the vote. You know, the government surely. Yeah, well, the Greens will vote against my resolution. Surely the government, the coalition yeah, parties will vote with me. Well, surely. Um, I uh, tell you what, um, our friend Jeremy Buckingham, for those who listen to our weekly podcast, you know that every week we, we like to give a beta mail of the week nomination and uh, Jeremy Buckingham gets a beta mail of the week for getting expelled, oh, well, for, for not getting re-elected based on the grounds of sexual assault allegations, um, but passing this motion in 2016 after the Access Hollywood tapes. The irony is not mm. lost on mm. Carnage House. Yeah, a bit of a hypocrite, that bloke, according to his own... Colleagues, the member for Newtown got stuck right into him under parliamentary privilege. I don't know the truth of what he did and didn't do, but if you're condemned by your own colleagues, you're in no position to condemn Donald it's Trump. A, it's a tough, tough position to be in for the man. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the lockout laws, which are planning to be repealed uh, before the end of the year, as far as I understand. Um, now, you were on the chair, the, sorry, you were on the, in the cross-party yeah. committee that looked into the lockout laws. Now, what did you find on the committee uh, and um, do you think it's a good idea to repeal the lockout laws? Well, I do in the centre of Sydney. Uh, you've got to judge the evidence here. You know, you've got to be guided by the statistics. And the crime statistician in New South Wales, Boxer, has found that in the period of the lockout laws, there's only been a 4% reduction in alcohol-related non-domestic violence in the centre of Sydney. But the reduction in King's Cross has been much more substantial, over 50%. So you, you probably want to keep the lockout laws in, in the cross, which is sort of um, going down a more residential path. It's only half sleazy these days. I think it's much improved from when I last saw it. And, uh, but in the centre of Sydney, there's no point you know, killing off thousands of jobs, night economy, Sydney's tourism reputation for a 4% reduction in uh, alcohol-related alcohol non-domestic violence, uh, which is basically assaults, you know, drunken assaults, I suppose, is the shorthand. Um, of that statistical report. Why, you know, and at the same time, areas, parts of Sydney that haven't had lockout laws have had bigger reductions. Mm. Over the last 10 years in Cameldown, in southwest Sydney, an area I know quite well and, and used to represent in the federal parliament, they've had a 71% reduction in drunken assaults. That's, you know, you, in a world of you know, bad news in the media, that's an incredible good news story that social attitudes to drinking and violence have improved to the point where if, if, if 10 years ago there were 100 of those drunken assaults in Camelodown today, there are 30. So, you know, the 70% reduction is remarkable. And uh, if you're achieving that without lockout laws, why are you killing off the centre of Sydney when you've only got a 4% reduction under this uh, oppressive regime? Mm. Well, it is actually a, an interesting general point, is that crime statistics, as far as I'm aware, have gone way down in like mm. the last 50 years. But you wouldn't read about it on no. the news. I mean, most people you no. talk to, I will say, uh, parents or grandparents will say, you know, the world's not as safe today as it was mm. back in my day. Uh, and that might be an interesting reflection on, on how the media has been portraying the world to people. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Fear sells uh, 
newspapers and, and increases ratings and particularly fear about your children. Yes. Well, you know, they want parents to think that your kids will go out, they won't come home, mm. uh, that you, you, you know, the world's about to end with climate change. So fear is, is something that the media uses as a, as a commercial tool. Mm -hmm. And if you want to get your real news, you know where to subscribe. The Carnage House. The Carnage House. Where else? Straight from, uh, straight from the Honourable we, we We lay carnage to fake news. We do. We, have, we wage war on the fake news. Um, but that being said, we also are, are learning. We always learn and, and we, we not, don't have the answers, but we're going to find them. What do you learn about carnage? Um, can I tell you, we learn about everything. And I'm okay. loving, absolutely loving doing these interviews. Um, now, what I do want to ask is on the topic of alcohol, uh, if we, let's say we extend it to drugs. Let's talk about festivals. Um, now, our viewer base, predominantly young people, enjoy going to festivals. Um, you've uh, proposed that the solution to drug-related deaths at festivals is kind of more police, more sniffer dogs, harsher penalties. That was your tweet. Is that still your position? Uh, well, um, you know, they, they, they should be music festivals, not drug festivals. Um, and uh, my main emphasis is for the people running the festivals to uh, provide duty of care for the people who attend them and to ensure that as much as possible they're drug free. You know, the, 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 there seems to be like an assumption by the Greens that, oh, we should actually turn these into drug festivals, they're music festivals, and if the people can't exercise duty of care and ensure that, um, you know, people stay alive and leave healthy, well, they shouldn't run these music festivals into the future. So I'd imagine in doing that, yeah, they'd, they'd have more uh, police hired in, it shouldn't be a taxpayer responsibility, these are commercial ventures, and, and more sniffer dogs and more precautions and, and, and more things that uh, keep their patrons safe and healthy. Okay, we're going to take a pause. Thanks for being with us. We're continuing the Mark Latham interview. We got interrupted by the bells. There's a lot of things going on here at the New South Wales Parliament. Uh, but we were having a discussion about festivals, about alcohol, about drugs, about safety. Um, the, I guess the question I have, uh, kind of about festivals, but about uh, maybe drugs more broadly, is that alcohol is, is uh, quite widely regarded as a very dangerous drug both to individuals and to society more broadly. I guess <clears throat> as a young person I might be wondering when I go into a festival uh, why are there police and sniffer dogs and maybe tough penalties for me bringing in drugs which are maybe much less dangerous to uh, kind of society in general and maybe individually than alcohol. Yeah well I think they should be music festivals not drug festivals or alcohol festivals. So uh, there are public laws against uh, drunkenness. You obviously can't drink and drive. Um, people who are falling over in a hotel or club get kicked out. Mm. There's refused to service laws. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I think that common sense would apply to music festivals as well. In okay. my opinion, uh, I'm not an expert mm. on yeah. what actually happens at a music festival these days. But yeah. my main point is that People who want to go there and listen to the music should be able to do so without drunken idiots falling all over them or people overdosing, you know, right. a couple of metres away. Right. Uh, I would have thought that makes for a better music festival than uh, the alternative. Yes. yes. Um, I guess the question I have uh, with relation to drugs, because um, when you have police and law enforcement there, the question I have is <clears throat> how bad do you have to behave or, or, or what actions do you have to take which deserve you getting kind of handcuffed and, and taken to a cell, right? So I don't know if One Nation has a position on this or you have a position in general. Um, do you have a, any thoughts on like recreational marijuana legalization? Well, uh, you know, I don't think we need to change the drug laws at all. 
And I think the basic proposition is with drugs and alcohol, you get in trouble when you're a nuisance to someone else mm. and your antisocial behaviour becomes an issue in that setting. Um, you know, um, and you know, the, the problem with marijuana, which is uh, not inaccessible out on the streets of Sydney, is that you know, for young people it encourages them to go further down the path with harder drugs and, and greater levels of harm. So I, I think meddling with drug laws is, is not going to produce a better result. Mm, okay. What would you say uh, about the idea of um, kind of, let's say you wanted to smoke a joint in your own home. Do you think that should be illegal? Well, people probably do and would be undetected and um, the police don't burst through your front door unless they've got some valid reason sure. for being there. Uh, no, so I don't think you can legalise marijuana use, but you should also recognise that uh, things that don't cause harm to others uh, are not necessarily policed in our society. You know, there's, there's not necessarily a government solution for every problem in civil society. Yeah. And one of the reasons we're having this abortion bill in New South Wales was that status, people who believe in the automatic exercise of government power, think they need to interfere everywhere. In New South Wales, we had lawful abortions permissible for 50 years, according to a court ruling, and the police in New South Wales with a no prosecutions policy. Mm. Well, you know, if that's the case, why do we need to go through this nine mm. uh, days of full parliamentary chamber debate? And, and, and so, to, so to, on the marijuana question, uh, I'm sure there's a, a bunch of people causing no harm to anyone else who smoke a joint in their own house. The police don't burst through the door or jump through the window and the current arrangements uh, don't require meddling by politicians. The problem, of, co of course, uh, would be out on the, the streets and, and, and selling drugs, which the police would obviously bring, you know, come to the attention of the police much more than what people do in the privacy of their own home. Couldn't, couldn't that be fixed, the, the selling of the drugs, by legalising marijuana? No. Let's say people were able to sell it, private businesses were able to sell marijuana. No, oh, well, we can't, you know, I'm not, I'm not supportive of the idea of of um, young people, uh, you know, lining up at, uh, at milk bars to buy marijuana. Okay. Although, right. you know, for the business, it's, uh, it's instant munchies, isn't it? You know, they'd sell the marijuana and then sell five hamburgers and a couple of Chico rolls at the same time. So, a few uh, boxes of you know, it's probably, you know, very, very self-contained, but no, I'm not supporting that. Okay. Well, let's talk about education. Now, you were the chair on the Upper House uh, inquiry into the New South Wales school uh, education system. Uh, why don't you tell us uh, about that inquiry, why it happened uh, and kind of what, what you're discovering? Well, we're trying to resolve one of the great paradoxes in school education policy that everything's been measured all over the world, there's umpteen studies and you can pretty well tell what works and doesn't work in the classroom and what level of uh, impact improved learning it, 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 it delivers. So if everything's measured, everything's known, why have we got schools going backwards, you know, mm. why aren't they all doing the things that work in the classroom and get better results? Why are our NAPLAN results in Australia so flat, particularly in high school? Um, so the answer is um, there are fad experimental programs, ideological things happening in schools which are losing uh, regressive programs, but they continue because there's no discipline in the system to force schools into doing the stuff that works. Now, phonics works better than whole word in literacy. Um, direct instruction works better in the classroom than project-based learning and, and inquiry learning where the teacher becomes a facilitator. This sort of nonsense, uh, there's no evidence that growth mindset and 20th century capabilities and all the, uh, this sort of thing ever works. That is a very different bell, isn't it? When you're, when okay, like, you know, we'll be back in a moment. Welcome back.
Thank you, Mark, for coming back. You've been voting on all different types of bills. Oh, the abortion bill. The abortion Trying to outlaw the sale of uh, fetal material. Right. Which apparently amazingly lost. So. You'd think it, it should be outlawed. Um, but anyway, uh, let's finish education. Um, so we've just talked about the uh, inquiry into oh, New, yes, New yes, South yes, Wales yes. education. Yeah, so we um, want to look, instead of just pouring money into schools, you want to actually measure performance and reward the schools that have got the best outcomes, outcome-based funding, mm. and lead them all in the direction, not, not cut their budget, but extra money for schools doing the right thing. So they're all led in the direction of best practice. They can all be good schools if they junk the fad and experimental programs that don't work. And mm. you need that funding discipline without overriding local school autonomy. Mm. Yeah, well, I would, um, I'm very attracted to the idea of having the best teachers paid you know, representative to their worth. Because, I mean, you go to school. I mean, I certainly have had teachers like this. I know a lot of other kids have, where you get a teacher who's just absolutely brilliant and you realise they're on a normal teacher's salary, but the value they provide to you is, is significantly different to what mm -hmm. uh, a different teacher, um, you know, might, might give their students. Uh, and any way, I feel like, to kind of compensate those teachers who do go out of their way, who do put in the extra effort, who do really care about the students' development. Not to say that, that teachers don't, but there are just some teachers who go above and beyond. Any way, I feel like we can kind of reward them for that is, is something I'd be supportive of. Mm. Um, now, let's finish education. Uh, let's talk about the recent lowering of standards, uh, the ATAR standard for women at UTS to, I think, 70 instead of 80 for engineering courses. I kind of have an idea of what you might say about it, but what was your headline reaction to it? Well, it's more futile social engineering, because uh, the truth is men are different to women, um, not in any level of intelligence at all, but rather in behavioural interests in life, that men generally like to work with things, objects, so men are more likely to want to be engineers, uh, IT type experts in the trades, and uh, women are more inclined to work with people. So you've seen this development of, you know, rapid rise in the number of women working in the law, in medicine, in veterinary science. You know, we've now got in Australia more female lawyers than male, more female than male um, GP doctors and, and vets and office managers, teachers, again, working with people. So, the, you know, these are major advances in huge, important uh, professional areas where women are racing ahead um, of men. But, you know, the idea that you're going to have equal number of men and women in every profession is ridiculous. It's, it's micromanagement and social engineering mm. uh, that's unnecessary. So, uh, you know, fiddling with the principles of merit entry into university by saying if you've got certain genitalia, you get a 10% reduction, you're a woman, you're in at a lower mark than men is, is, is just stupid because it's, it's like the experience they had in the federal police where they wanted to have positions reserved for women and not enough women applied mm. and they had to abandon the program. So at the end of the day you can't put a gun to people's head and make them do university courses or make them do certain jobs and I'll expect, I would expect we'll still have more male than female engineers despite the ridiculous social engineering and abandonment of merit by UTS uh, just as we're going to have more female than male lawyers and, and GP doctors and vets and office mm. managers and teachers. So why not let society, uh, under the principles of equal opportunity laws, 
without discrimination, just get on with the job. Mm. Well, it is one of the things that Jordan Peterson talks about, is that in the most gender equal countries in the world, in Scandinavia, you actually have the biggest gender differences by occupation. Mm -hmm. So if you go to Scandinavia, you'll have more women in nursing and more men in STEM subjects. Um, when you reduce the uh, socialization factor down, the only factor that's left is the biological factor. Mm. Um, now, I don't know if the government has uh, any role to play in this UTS decision, except for maybe kind of talking about it ah, and discussing well, it. Well, under New South Wales anti-discrimination laws, uh, the discrimination board had to give an exemption for this because it is a form of uh, sex discrimination mm. to say that women get a free uh, lower entry standards than, than men. It's discrimination against men. So they had to get an exemption from New South Wales anti-discrimination laws. They hand these exemptions out like confetti, and they debase the whole principles of equal opportunity and anti-discrimination laws. So you're going to do that there. Why, why yes. not? Why not hand out an anti-discrimination exemption for universities that have a lower entry mark for men getting into teaching? Yeah. Given that a lot of people say oh, we need more male teachers. Yes. So it's never ending. You know, mm. this this micromanagement, social engineering uh, thinking has no end to it. If you're going to go down sort of central economic planning to say that every profession has got to have equal numbers of, of, um, of, of male and female. And why end there? Why not equal numbers of, of gay and straight? Mm. Why not equal numbers of rich and poor? Why not equal numbers of uh, European background and, and Asian background? You know, I mean, you're going to micromanage society. It's never ending. It's futile. And, 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 and these exemptions granted under New South Wales law are pathetic. Well, Mr. Latham, you're a very, very busy man. You've got a lot of stuff on today and through the evening. Uh, thank you. Are we for... going to discuss the consent laws? Oh, let's discuss yeah, the consent laws. Quickly. We've got time. I raised this at, at Education Committee estimates because there is a, a, an ancient but useful provision in New South Wales laws that says that nobody can be refused their graduation at a university because of their political beliefs and political affiliations. So if the person um, at UTS who's being denied their graduation certificate because of their, their degree because they won't uh, fill out the uh, consent form, the Stickman Ridiculous Consent course. If they believe uh, that they're doing that for valid political reasons, then they would have uh, coverage under New South Wales law. And I think you could fairly say that the, if you look at the history of the Hunting Ground Project and where these consent laws came from and the Bodgy uh, Human Rights Commission um, survey, if you looked at all that, you'd say this is a political campaign uh, for social engineering purposes against men uh, at universities, against males. And for that reason, uh, I'm rejecting that political campaign on political grounds. And it may well be that that person will get coverage under New South Wales laws. I'm getting more information from the education authorities to that effect. But if people are saying they have a political objection to these consent requirements that stop them getting their uh, graduation degree, then we may be able to help them uh, through the New South Wales Parliament. Mm. But we'll continually cover that story uh, as it comes out. It's been fantastic to have you with us in the Carnage House today. Uh, the best place to find you, I assume, is Twitter for those people yeah, watching. Yeah, at Real Mark Latham and Facebook uh, Mark Latham's Outsiders and our New South Wales One Nation website as well. Okay, beautiful. Tell All us what there. you thought of the interview in the comments below. Make sure to like and subscribe if you like this content. Um, it's been fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. I hope uh, we'll cross paths again in the future. Um, but for now, good luck. I wish you the best. Uh, in thank Parliament. you. It's been great to be in the house for a bit of carnage against the lefties. Beautiful. Well, thank you. I'll see you soon.